Welcome to Foresight Friday Roundup, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Friday, October 1st. Last week on the Roundup, we talked about employee health benefits, what employees want in 2022, and what employers are willing to offer in 2022. For most companies, those health benefits will be provided directly or administered by commercial health insurance companies. And that's who we're going to talk about on today's show. Specifically, we're going to talk about competition in health insurance markets across the U.S. and how new companies are trying to disrupt those markets. Today's lesson in market competition and actuarial science will be given by Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Mertzenson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? Today, October 1st, is International Coffee Day. I'm celebrating with a cup of joe as we speak and thinking about how good coffee just makes life better. Happiness can be a modest thing. (laughs) That's great. Julie, how about you? Well, I spent a few days in our nation's capital at the Future of Health Data Summit that was hosted by Datavant. And it was quite an incredible group of leaders in the analytics and data space focusing on how we're all going to get the data we need to do what we need to do in healthcare. Cool. Did they have free coffee there? They did have free coffee and it was good too. (laughs) (laughs) Good, good. That's that's good. Now, uh, before we talk about health insurance markets, I wanted to ask you both about your health insurance carriers. Dave, how many different carriers have you had over your career and how often did you change plans? You know, Dave, it feels like I've had Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois health insurance forever. That's not surprising since they control 70% of the commercial insurance market in Chicago. Did anybody say monopsony? Early in my career, though, when we lived in New York City, I tried a low-cost HMO. That plan gave new meaning to the phrase gatekeeper. I had to have three or four consults before they approved knee surgery, which I clearly needed since I could barely walk, and they got to choose the hospital and doctor. Going forward, I expect I'll have to choose a Medicare Advantage insurance plan in the not-too-too-distant future. And when that happens, just like you always do, Berta, I'll put together a spreadsheet. (laughs) I love Excel. Thanks, Dave. (laughs) Julie, how about you? How many different commercial carriers have you had during your work career, and how many times did that change? This was honestly a tough question to think through. I'm not entirely sure. But I figured out that I've had roughly nine or so what I'll call healthcare coverage phases of my post-college life, including employers, graduate school, spousal coverage, health plan changes within the same employer. So across all those, I think I've likely changed plans maybe 10 or 11 times. And when I looked really at the plans I've been covered by, I think I've been pretty consistent in my churn. Uh, having been with Blue Shield of California, United Healthcare, and Aetna multiple times. Got it. Thanks, Julie. If I knew that someday I would ask that question, I would have hung on to all my health insurance cards. Uh, that would have been smart. But by memory, at different points in my career, I've been covered by Aetna, two Blues plans, Cigna, and United. So that, that's at least five. Three of the four companies that I worked for rarely changed carriers, but one company seemed to change carriers all the time looking for a better deal. 
which I think is code for shifting more of the premium costs to employees. So four more years and it'll be Medicare for me. I'll see on the spreadsheet, Dave. That sounds great. We'll, we'll compare notes. <laughs> Let's exit that trip down memory lane and talk about what's happening in health insurance markets today. The American Medical Association came out with a big report this week that looked at 384 MSAs across the country and how many commercial health insurance companies competed in those markets. The AMA said 73% of the MSAs were highly concentrated in terms of carriers, meaning that they were dominated by a handful of companies. In 91% of the MSAs, at least one carrier controlled 30% or more of the market. And in 46% of the MSAs, one insurer controlled at least 50% of the market. Dave, what does the AMA report tell you about health insurance competition or the lack of it? How does what the AMA found affect providers? And how does what the AMA found affect consumers? First, we have to consider the source. Taking advice from the AMA on health insurance markets is like the U.S. taking economic advice from China. Both require a grain or perhaps a shovel full of salt. The AMA clearly has a vested interest in improving doctors negotiating leverage relative to health insurers. So it's in their interest to point out they're concentrated. Having said that, the AMA report confirms what many of us already know to be true, that the commercial health insurance markets in most metropolitan areas, MSAs, are highly concentrated. The success of concentration limits competition and, in my opinion, leads to profiteering by market-dominant health insurance companies. Moreover, the level of concentration on an absolute basis has actually increased in over half the MSAs since 2014, so it's getting worse, not getting better. This grants what economists call monopsony pricing power to market-dominant health insurance companies, such as those with more than 50% market share. So today's economic lesson is explaining monopsonies. Most people understand monopoly pricing power that's when a producer controls enough of the production to set prices independent of market supply and demand dynamics. Monopsony pricing power is the reverse phenomenon. It occurs when a buyer has enough purchasing power to set prices independent of market supply and demand dynamics. In this sense, health insurance companies are like the company store from the famous folk song, 16 Tons. Remember the refrain's lyrics, 16 tons, and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt, St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go out my soul to the company store. <laughs> From an economic perspective, uh, market-dominant health insurance companies are the company store. They're price setters, not price takers. The monopsony character of most health insurance markets explains numerous characteristics of the dysfunctional health care insurance marketplace. First, it explains why self-insured companies cannot demand greater value for their healthcare purchases. Market concentration prevents them from moving their business to more competitive health insurance providers. They take what they can get, and Dave, they kind of get what you described, which is you can shuffle the players, but the outcome isn't much different. Market concentration also explains why many providers feel at the mercy of health insurance plans for the level of payment they receive for services provided, further explains why the price of commercial health insurance plans have grown at double the rate of medical inflation and quadruple the rate of general inflation over the last 20 years. Insurance companies 
have had the pricing power to make this happen. Finally, market concentration explains why consumers get such crappy service from health insurance companies. Despite advertising to the contrary, dominant health insurance companies don't have to worry about consumers' experience to maintain their market positions. From their perspectives, consumers can't go anywhere else for their health insurance. In that sense, consumers owe their health to a company store. Got it, Dave. Thank you. Julie, what are your takeaways from the AMA report? What does it say about the balance of power between payers and providers, for example? And uh, do you see that balance changing in the near future? Well, I don't have a song, so I hope that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) But I agree with Dave. This is just another shot over the bow from providers blaming plans for high costs when, you know, there's a lot of blame to, to go around in our market today. And I was struck by the fact that, you know, it was just over five years ago in 2015 when we were headed towards the four big guys coming together to make two much bigger guys. Do you remember the days when Anthem and Cigna were going to come together and Aetna and Humana were going to come together? Right. So just imagine like how much more concentrated the market would be then. So, you know, it's, they're definitely, there's no doubt we're definitely getting more concentrated. I talked to a lot of blues plans. I can feel them talking about their digital strategy and ways that they are really trying to transform what they're doing, how they give better service to members, how they work on their internal infrastructure to decrease their own cost of delivery. And it's, you know, largely because the nationals are coming into the markets and getting really good at competitive pricing and taking market share. And, you know, we've talked on this show before about how there's kind of a mad dash towards the government business as well. Another reality here is that the large nationals were out of the exchanges for a while for the most part. And we've talked on the show again before that with the exchanges, you're seeing the nationals come back into those exchanges and take more market share there. So there's a lot of specific drivers around what's really causing concentration to increase. And I still think there's a lot of futurists who will say that we see more consolidation ahead, certainly among the blues. I found it quite notable that Kaiser Permanente is now in the top five as our only true closed caption, if you will, pay provider system. And Humana was bumped out of the top 10 by Centene. So these are some pretty big chess moves on the chessboard. Got it, Julie. Thank you. Dave, anything to add to Julie's comments? Maybe we did dodge a bullet by not getting those two big mega insurance companies. That would have been something. The depressing reality about monopolies and monopsonies is that they go together like crime and punishment. Wherever monopoly or monopsony pricing power exists, it invites its counterpart into the marketplace. This way, both the sell and the buy sides of that market have sufficient leverage to negotiate terms for their mutual benefit at the expense of greater society. This inherent relationship between monopsonies and monopolies explains the increasing concentration of health systems and specialty groups within individual healthcare marketplaces. As payers get more concentration, the providers want it too. They want sufficient market power to offset the market dominance of those commercial health insurers. It's not surprising that from that perspective, that the AMA doesn't issue a report on specialty group concentration. The AHA doesn't issue reports on hospital concentration either. It does surprise me a little bit that the Justice Department and Federal Trade Commission haven't taken more interest in the market concentration 
of health insurance companies, they tend to focus most of their attention on providers more so than payers. Maybe payers have better lobbyists. Irrespective of regulatory activities, the healthcare industrial complex, which includes both monopsony payers and monopoly providers, has a good year every year. Yeah, it does seem to be a series of punch and counter punch. Thanks, Dave. All right, now let's talk about health insurance market disruption. Julie, where do you see the opportunities to break up these highly concentrated health insurance markets, either from a startup or a technology perspective? Uh, Who's doing what and what progress are they making? Well, we're definitely starting to see a divide in the insurance space between the haves and the have-nots. So when that happens, you see new innovation. And we're seeing new innovation from plans like Clover and Oscar. They were some of the first. Then came Devoted Health and Friday Health Plan. And we're hearing more about Centivo and Bright Health. So we're seeing a ton of innovation in the health plan space. And they're betting on a different approach that high-touch tech-enabled approaches can bridge that divide by recruiting members and driving down costs and God knows providing what seems like or feels like I think a better member experience if you look at their NPS scores. That said, everyone who looks at this space, certainly from the large health plan perspective, will say, oh yeah, but their membership is so small. And you know, those relying on Medicare specifically are relying on those seniors to switch plans, which is proven to be very challenging over time although plenty of seniors are coming of age every day. So all these plans are doing great things, but scale is neither immediate nor really assumed to happen. But you are starting to see some, like Oscar and Cigna, forming relationships as small and large plans to grow certain markets and certain access points and certain types of products together, which is pretty interesting. You know, also we're seeing more innovative solutions. So you know, benefits managers and solution companies like that to help people better understand and select their plan. I just saw a company called Health Pilot that's using a highly personalized way to help seniors figure out the right Medicare plan for them. There's a lot of companies in this space, but Health Pilot's one of those new companies on the scene that's using a far more technically savvy approach with a new market access model. And, you know, I think has the potential to really do something special. You're also seeing benefits platforms like Stride Health that are focusing on gig workers. When you read everything about how the the pandemic's affected our economy, gig workers are definitely a population to pay attention to, and Stride's hoping to be their benefits platform solution. So a lot of change happening in terms of how consumers better understand uh, what plan is best for them based on who they are and the data they can provide, and just the innovation and plan design. Got it. Service, service, service. Thanks, Julie. That's right. Dave, where do you see the opportunities to disrupt the health insurance status quo? What can be done from a policy or regulatory or market perspective to make these markets uh, work better for consumers? Well, first, Julie, that was terrific insight on the bottom-up innovation that's occurring within the marketplace and how it's beginning to shape market supply and demand dynamics. Really, really important part of what's going on in healthcare today. High-functioning marketplaces require transparency and level field competition to thrive. When these exist, the best products, services, business models, and ideas win. Value abounds. So as Julie was saying, 
where market conditions support innovation, we really are beginning to see some new rich value offering opportunities. Healthcare incumbents, though, have enjoyed lax regulation with weak oversight and enforcement for decades. That's why monopsony payers and monopoly providers continue to exist and, in fact, are growing. Tougher rules on pricing transparency and data interoperability that came about last year and are being implemented now challenge the ability of incumbents to limit competition. President Biden has also issued guidance authorizing increased antitrust enforcement within healthcare. All of that's helpful. Even better is the emergence of new types of companies like the ones Julie described that enable self-insured employers, governments, and consumers to become better buyers of healthcare services, get more balance between the buy and the sell sides of the equation. Since commercial payment rates in particular can be multiples higher than Medicare rates, bringing purchasing power to self-insured employers, as Transparent does, is a potential game changer. New payment models that shift risk to both payers and providers also contribute to higher functioning healthcare marketplaces. The increased concentration in both payer and provider marketplaces, however, portends that those powerful incumbents won't relinquish their monopoly and monopsony pricing power without a considerable fight. They really are the empire. You, Julie, me, and many others are on the side of the Federation that is pushing for higher value healthcare provision through both regulatory and market channels. May the force be with us. Always good with a Star Wars analogy. That's, that's great. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Julie, anything to add to Dave's comments? No, that's really a, a tough act to follow, I will say. <laughs> now, I've got four more years to collect insurance cards, so we'll see what happens. Great conversation. <laughs> now, let's talk briefly about other big healthcare news that happened this past week. Julie, what caught your attention and why? In addition to the headlines, we're all reading about how Canada and other countries are just speeding ahead of us in their vaccination rates, which is just terrible. Great for them, by the way. I was struck this week by Rock Health coming out with their latest data showing that women's focused digital health startups have already raised $1.3 billion in 2021, which doubles all of 2020's funding which is incredible. So we're seeing a lot of interest in a more personalized, women-focused solutions. Interesting. That's, that's great. Thanks, Julie. Dave, what did you notice this past week that we all should know about? First, hats off to women innovators in healthcare. That's, that's great. And I did hear this morning that Portugal has exceeded 85% vaccination of its people, and they've opened almost completely back up. So we definitely have a way to go. I'm focused on the sausage making in Washington as the president and Congress wrestle with the debt ceiling and infrastructure bills. The second Build Back Better infrastructure bill has several provisions that will fund health and social care needs. How that final legislation emerges will have a significant impact on the healthcare marketplace. Next week, we should get some idea of how the political wrangling will shape the final bills. It's going to be loud partisan and messy. Stay tuned. 
Thanks, Dave. For me, it was the AP story about the hospital in Missouri giving panic buttons to frontline healthcare workers to press when they're being assaulted by angry, unvaccinated COVID patients or unmasked visitors. First airplanes and now hospitals. I mean, clearly we're not in Portugal. All right. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. You also can find a recording of this podcast and all our podcasts on the Healthcare Now Radio Network, iTunes, Spotify, and other streaming services. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.